I hope that you do. Go ahead and turn with me to the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 5. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 5. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 5. <clears throat> the Gospel of Luke in the fifth chapter. We're only going to focus on uh, three, cha- three verses this morning. So uh, we're going to look at uh, um, touching the, the untouchable, uh, looking at a, at a lesson this morning that comes uh, to us of the grace and healing ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ and what that has to teach us as God's people. But so in Luke chapter 5 and verse 12, and Luke chapter 5, verse 12 through verse 15, if you're physically able to do so, I do want to invite you one more time as we honor the ring of God's holy and written word. Luke chapter 5, verse 12 through verse uh, 17, or 15, excuse me. Uh, Luke chapter 5, verse 12 through 15. Hear the word of the Lord given to you and I this morning. And it happened when he was in a certain city, and behold, that behold, a man who was full of leprosy saw Jesus, and he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then he put his, out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately the leprosy left him, and he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing and testify to them, just as Moses commanded. However, the report or the fame went around concerning him all the more, and great multitudes came together to hear and were healed by him of their infirmities. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for your mercy that has been granted to us in Christ. We thank you that uh, while this morning we read of a, a leper who was filled with leprosy being cleansed and healed by Christ, we know that ultimately this is a testimony to what has happened to us and in our, the core of our beings. Those we were once dead in our trespasses and our sins. We were once depraved to our, to our core and dead. But God, we thank you that in Christ you have made us alive together in Christ through faith in Christ. And so we ask now your blessings upon the reading of your word and ask that you would give us wisdom and grace in this time. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So what, what is a common thread? What, what is a thread that sort of binds us all together? There's, there, there are common threads. I know each and every one of us are different. Each and every one of us have, have their own experiences in life. Each and every one of us have our, have our, own, our own ways of, of thinking or looking at life. But there's, there's a common thread that tends to bind us all together despite all of our difference. And the answer to that question is, is it's simple, but it's also not simple. It's, it, the answer is that we all in the core of our being, have a longing for connecting or connection, a fundamental need, something that is, that is as crucial as, as food or water for our well-being. We understand that even the Bible, itself, I mean, the Bible itself is very clear about this. We'd say, well, what do you mean? And I'd say, well, look back as, as early as Genesis chapter 2. What is it that God said about man? He said, it's not good that man should be alone. And so God created for him a helpmate, a helper. And it's said that he called her name Eve, right? She was the mother of all the living. And while certainly this does speak to the core of, 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 of the, the most intimate relationships that we can have here on this earth through marriage, it also, I think, has a profound impact and meaning and, and, and of our being 
whether we're speaking of marriage or not, and that's just our, our need as human beings to, 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 to belong, to feel like we belong to something more than us, something that is greater than us. We see, as, as, as we as God's people, we, we see and, and feel the isolation in our society, particularly over the last couple of years with the, the COVID stuff that, that went on and the absolute isolation and the, the ridiculous things that happened in all of that and the absolute, the absolute growing feel, feelings of isolation because of, because of all of that, but, but not just because of that, also because of technological advancements and all sorts of other things that we as individuals, particularly here in the United States, we tend to focus on. I think it's easy for us to socially isolate ourselves knowing and, and I, I think this bears, statistically, this bears itself out. You know who one of the loneliest groups of people in our society are today? Men. Men kill themselves on a higher average than any other person. Men. Young men. But men, in general. There's a lot of different reasons for that, but I would say this, that as... As a man, there, there are lots of things, lots of ways that we are taught to spiritually isolate as well as isolate ourselves just, just in general, even from our own families at times. So that at times it even feels as if we are not even understood by those that we love the most. But I would say this, this is one of the reasons why we as God's people need to, need to focus upon Having being a place where we can we can belong together because we belong ultimately to Christ. And it's because of Christ that we welcome our walking together. The world itself even knows this as you as you see all sorts of all sorts of uh, uh, attempts by the world to fill all sorts of longings and ways to belong and ways of cooperating together. Now, why would I focus upon this, right? Because this isn't really a sermon about, right, how to deal with loneliness. So why would I open with this? Well, because it is, it is categorically key to understanding what the man with leprosy was going through. And so before we actually get into the text, I need to give you some, some information. Some of you may find this the most interesting thing you've ever heard in your life. Some of you may say, oh my goodness, this is so boring. But it is important that you understand what was going on. And when we say, when the scripture says leprosy, what the scripture means by leprosy, right? Because most of us today think of what is commonly known as Hansen's disease, right? This is not, it could be included in that, but by and large, Hansen's disease is not the focal point of what leprosy actually was when it comes to biblical times, the Old Testament times. And we need to understand why, why this man was so desperate to be healed. Not, ultimately, yes, it is a, it is a signal of, of his desire and his need to, to be able to come to faith in Christ. Uh, right? it, is a, it is a picture of that. But historically and culturally, there were a lot of things going on that we need to be able to put our hands on and grasp. See, at the time of Jesus, leprosy, right, was, was, was mostly referring to a, a could, could refer to, to a series of, of skin diseases, not just Hansen's. It was considered not only a physical ailment, and herein I think is the important thing to understand, that for a Jew, whether in the Old Testament or living at the time of Christ, 
right? To, to, be, to be considered or to, to be diagnosed with leprosy was not to simply be an outcast from society, but you were cut off spiritually, socially, and in every relationship that you've ever had. This is more, this was intertwined in more than a simple, hey, you're unclean, you got to go away from everybody. You could not enter the temple. You could not offer sacrifices to, the, to Yahweh. You could not give worship to God. You could not do anything. You were, out, you, were, you were an outcast from the entire of society, so much so that the only other people that you would have relationship with perhaps were other unclean people. Other people diagnosed with leprosy. So this was not just a physical ailment. This was not just a physical defilement of the body. This was also an ethical and a spiritual defilement that was intertwined with all of this. The law of Moses actually offers, and I know, I know, when I mention the book of Leviticus, most eyes just sort of begin glazing over like Leviticus. Oh my goodness, there's all kinds of things in there. But Leviticus, specifically 13 and 14, deals with this. But you've got to remember that at the time of Jesus, it wasn't just the law of Moses, the Torah, or the, the, uh, the, uh, uh, the Tanakh, that was the, all of the Old Testament that was, that was being referred to. You had, you had the Talmud, the Babylonian Talmud, that was, that was part of, which was a commentary on the reasons for this disease and why people had it and what to do with them that were commentaries on Leviticus 13 and 14. And so there were lots of different dynamics that were going on at this point in time. But in Leviticus 13 and 14, you had the detection of leprosy. In Leviticus 13 particularly, there was the initial examination that took place. That is when anybody had a mark on their skin, they had to be brought before a priest for examination. You ever wonder why they didn't have to be taken to a doctor for that examination and they were taken to a priest? It wasn't because priests were doctors and it wasn't that they didn't have doctors. They most certainly did have doctors. But why was it that a priest was the one to, to make you, uh, to, to make this determination? It was because to have this disease, again, was an ethical, spiritual, and physical defilement. And so they were taken to the priests. And the signs that the priests were looked for in Leviticus 13 is very clear. They were looking for a couple things. Swelling, rash, bright spots that could be or may become skin disease. The, the appearance of skin lesions deeper than the skin and the hair in it that turned yellow or white. Those that were, that were initially diagnosed with leprosy were quarantined. If the priest could not make an exact diagnosis at that point in time, they had to be, diagnosed, had to be isolated for seven days. Again, you could have no contact with anyone, shut up in your house, um, away from even your own family. The quarantine would be repeated if the mark uh, had spread but was not, still not definitive. Leviticus 13 goes on to tell us that it, there was a determination of cleanliness and uncleanliness, that the priest after that time had to make a definitive statement as to whether or not it was, it, the person was clean or unclean based upon the appearance and the spread of the lesions. If the lesion was spreading in the skin after a period of quarantine, after a period of these 14 days quarantined still, they were pronounced unclean. And think about this. Things that today we even consider very common would have been considered part of this. Chronic skin conditions with white lesions and raw flesh were deemed unclean. They could, they could, anything that they touched was then unclean, whether garments or leather goods or things that were woven or knitted or any type of uh, uh, pottery, houses that they lived in, all of this became unclean. 
And then in Leviticus 14, there was a treatment for leprosy that broke out, not just in the the person, but also perhaps even in the houses, things like mildew and mold and things like that that would would happen in homes. And there would be cleansing rituals that, that took place in Leviticus 14, of the healed individuals, the cleansing rituals for the, for the healed individual. This is why Jesus will tell the leper after he cleanses him and heals him of his leprosy, go, show yourself to the priest, offer the sacrifices that are required of you from Moses, and then you'll be clean. It's because of Leviticus 14. That's what this is. It's because of Leviticus 14. After a leper is cleansed, they had to present themselves to the priest, outside, but outside the camp. And then the priest would order two living and clean birds, cedar wood, scarlet, and hyssop, be brought for the cleansing rite. Then one of the birds would be killed over the fresh pot of of water in a clay pot. And then the living bird, along with the, the cedar wood, scarlet, and hyssop, would be dipped into the blood of the bird that was killed. And then the blood was sprinkled seven times on the person to be cleansed. And the living bird is set free. And then the person was to go, wash their clothes, shave off all their hair, bathe in water, and they would be able to complete the purification ritual. And then, and only then, could they re-enter the camp. But even then, they had to remain outside of their tent for seven more days. And then on the eighth day, they could offer one final offering of two male lambs, and one ewe lamb, along with fine flour mixed with oil and a log of oil, and then that would be offered as a trespass offering, a sin offering, and a burnt offering, along with a grain offering, and then they would be cleansed. Along with that, the, the priest would also put the, put the, uh, the uh, blood and oil. They would anoint the person's big toe and right big toe, his right thumb, his ear, right earlobe. Um, and, and, then, and then he would be cleansed. There, there were some offerings that were, that were provided if someone was poor and had leprosy. Um, so things like uh, if, if a poor person was, was, uh, was able to offer, was cleansed and was able to offer, they would just have to bring one male lamb for, a, for an offering and then two turtle doves right, for a sin offering and then bring, a, bring some flour and some, some oil and offer as a grain offering. And then again, there were, there were all of these things that were, that were being taught. Being taught as far as the houses, it even goes so far as to, to cover the houses. We won't go through all of them, but just know this, that uh, a house could, if, if it had mold and mildew that continued to return, would have to be t- torn down. So there were, there were lots of different things going on. But then you add all of this to the fact of, you remember when Jesus, is, on a couple of occasions, Jesus would heal people, and his apostles would ask him, his disciples would ask him, hey, Lord, uh, who sinned? And say, well, what do you mean? We, that, that's ridiculous. But this is where the Talmud, the Talmud comes into play here. It was an important rabbinic teaching on the Old Testament. And, and these are the reasons why the apostles, the disciples, and the, most of the people in, during Jesus' day, almost all the people in Jesus' day thought that if you were a leper, you were... You were, you were a sinner, and here's why. Because the Talmud, right, by rabbinic teaching, said that there are seven reasons why someone would get leprosy. The first is called evil speech or gossip. Right? Citing the story of Miriam, they, would, they taught that this was one of the reasons why God gave people leprosy. Because 
Miriam spoke against Moses in Numbers chapter 12. And so God punished her with leprosy. And so the leprosy was a scene as a punishment. Another reason given in the Talmud for why people got leprosy was murder. So God, they may have gotten away with murder, but God struck people with leprosy because they were murderers and they gotten away with it. And so in God's divine justice, and nobody was going to get away with it, so he gave them leprosy. The third reason was false oaths. God would give people leprosy because they took an oath in the name of God, but they, false, they sweared falsely and therefore God was paying them back. Then there was, the, then there was uh, forbidden uh, uh, human relations. I'll just leave it at that since we have kids here. They, they were engaging in these prohibited conduct uh, of, of, a, of, a, of a human nature and they were transgressing the laws of the Torah and the Tanakh. So therefore, God gave them leprosy. God gave leprosy for other reasons, things like arrogance, stealing, and even stinginess and greed. But you know the one thing you'll never find in all of the rabbinic teachings at this time is that people just get diseases. No, no, for the, for the, for the rabbis and for the Jewish people at this time, if you had a disease, it was because you deserved it. God was giving you, paying you back by giving you this. And Jesus comes along and he says some strange things like, uh, neither this man nor his parents sinned. But so that God could be glorified, this, this is the, the way it was, right? And so we understand that at this time, putting ourselves back in the, in the mindset of a Jew in the first century Israel at the time of Jesus, they're thinking, hey, this guy deserves what he's got. And so lepers were outcasts in Jewish society, required to live separately. And they had to even announce their impurity before anyone came close. They had to raise up their voice and proclaim, unclean, unclean, so that no, so that no one would even come close to them. So why does God inspire Luke to write this at this time? Why does, he, why does he tell Luke, why does he inspire Luke to place this here? You say, well, it's because it happened right after this. Well, it could be that, but I think there are other reasons as well. And here's, here's, some, things, here's some things to think about. Before the event, what was going on? Before this, this story of the, of the leper, what is going on? What is happening here? Well, Jesus has cast out demons. He's healed sick. He's healed Peter's mother-in-law's sickness. He's healed lots of other people's sicknesses. He's cast out lots of other demons. He's done lots of different things. So what exactly is going on? Well, in truth, it is to demonstrate his authority over nature and the supernatural by enabling all sorts of miraculous things, even going so far as to showing his ability to enable Peter and the other fishermen to catch fish that is a catch of fish that is so large it sinks it's almost sinking both their boats because God is demonstrating his authority Jesus as the son of God as God in the flesh is demonstrating his power and his authority not only over the supernatural evil of and wickedness of demons but even over sin is his right to forgive sinners and to cleanse sinners and this is what we'll see next week Lord willing with Jesus in the when he forgives the paralyzed man the paralytic Jesus has power and he's demonstrating his generosity and in grace 
by enabling these things. Because after this event, what we're going to have is we're going to have a paralyzed person, a paralytic man, who leads leading to a direct confrontation with the Pharisees where the teachers of the law, they get on Jesus and they say, who are you to forgive sins, man? And Jesus says, well, which is easier to say? That rise and take up your bed or that your sins are forgiven, but that you may know that the Son of Man has the, the ability to forgive sins. I say to you, rise, take up your bed and walk. And so Jesus' authority is unquestionably being presented here. His ability to cleanse, his ability to heal, his ability and his power. Listen, Jesus is often presented as some kind of weak person. Jesus was anything but weak. Jesus is God in the flesh, come among us, living, who came among us, lived among us. And yes, in God's sovereign, in the Father's sovereign plan, the Lord Jesus himself the second person of the Godhead allowed himself or, or submitted himself to the Father to be crucified. But that doesn't mean Jesus was weak or is weak. We serve an all-powerful, sovereign God who is sovereign over all things. But in all of this, I think there's a, there's a broader function that's going on here. right? The, the, the healing of this leper serves as simply one piece of the mosaic that Luke is constructing about Jesus' identity and mission. It demonstrates Jesus' messianic authority and, it, and it, 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 it gives credence to Jesus' statement that the kingdom of God is among you and is coming. And it sets the stage for Jesus' eventual conflict between the Jews and himself. Jesus' opposition to the religious establishment in himself. And this event, like others here in Luke, I think really does highlight also, and I don't want to, I don't want to leave this about, I don't want to leave this out as if it somehow serves as a minor purpose. It really is to also show his compassion and his grace to show the breaking down of barriers and that it's no longer based upon rituals, but rather in Christ that someone is declared clean and unclean that he breaks down these barriers between Jew and Gentile. He breaks down these barriers once and for all. So with all that before us, let's take a look at the text itself. Let's, let's jump into the text, right? So in Matthew, or in, sorry, in Luke chapter 5, verse 12, we first find the condition of the leprosy, don't we? Leprosy, as I said, was a symbol. It was a symbol, it was a physical ailment, right? But, but what kinds of diseases could have been considered could have been considered leprosy. Well, think about this. Psoriasis was considered leprosy. Um, vitiligo, I don't think I'm pronouncing that right, but something like that. It's a condition where the skin loses its pigment cells, causing discolored patches. That was leprosy. Dermatitis, a particular type of dermatitis, which causes an inflammatory skin disorder, causing scaly patches, red skin, and stubborn dandruff. That was considered leprosy. Ringworm was considered leprosy. Scabies was considered leprosy. Eczema was considered leprosy. Fungal infections that caused lesions and discolorations were considered that. 
in pedigo, a bacterial skin infection that can cause red sores and bur that burst to develop honey-colored crusts. That was considered leprosy. Lupus was considered leprosy. Boils and other bacterial infections, all of these were considered leprosy. Many of these we know today, and we go to the doctor for. You get psoriasis, someone goes to the doctor, the doctor gets the, or has psoriasis, you go, you go to the doctor, he gives you some medication to help you control it. You have dandruff, you go to and buy head and shoulders dandruff control, right? But ultimately, this is a picture of a desperate condition and a desperate condition on a much larger scale between God and humanity without Christ. And it's interesting that here in this moment, what is it that this leper does? What does the leper do? He says, when he came to a certain city, behold, a man who was full of leprosy saw Jesus and fell on his face and implored him. That is, he begged him, he pleaded with him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. You can make me clean. There's simple plea, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. What was the man doing at this time? He was recognizing Jesus' authority and submitting to Jesus' will. He was submitting himself to the larger understanding. We don't know anything about this man. We know nothing about his history. We know nothing, nothing about his background. We, we, we believe, we assume that he was a Jew based upon this, right, this, this interaction and where, where he was. We're not even told, actually, we're not even told the name of the city. It just says he came into a certain city. So we don't even really know where this was. We can assume it was in the region of Galilee, since that's where he has mainly been, since that's where Jesus has mainly been. But what does the leper do? We're not sure how long the leper has had this leprosy. We're not sure. We don't even know the man's name. But notice this, and mark this down carefully, Christian. Anytime you read your Bible and there is something, we're not told anything else about people, we're not told what they look like generally, but when we are told something specifically about that person, whether they're left-handed, like Ehud, or that so-and-so was a, was, was, uh, was a, was a good uh, player of an instrument, or that David was a handsome man, or that, that Joseph was a beautiful, handsome man, all of these things will, have, will come into play. The Bible is setting up something for us to understand. It's pointing out something that's going to come into play and is going to have a key point in the story. Anytime, anytime that happens. So you have Ehud in the Old Testament, right? He was called a left-handed man. Right? Most of the time, left-handed people at that time were considered crafty, not-to-be-trusted people. And, and Eglon, the fat king, I mean, he was so fat, it's, we're told, I mean, this, this, wasn't just, this wasn't someone who was simply you know, obese. This was someone who was morbidly obese, so much so that what happens in the... Why does the Bible point this out? It's not to be mean. Right? It's not. But what is the point of, of the Bible telling that story? It's because Ehud, being a left-handed man, wasn't searched from his left side because, no one, because most people were right-handed. And even left-handed people were taught, taught to be right-handed. But this man, Ehud, comes in to the king and he says, Hey, God has a message for you, O king. The king says, Oh, yeah? Well, let's hear it. Ehud takes his sword from his left side and he stabs him with it to kill him. And his, this guy is so, so large of a human being that the fat envelops the sword and he lays and he sits there and he dies 
And everybody thinks that he's just on the commode. I mean, literally, that's what it says. It's, he was in the privy. That's, what do you think a privy was? I was? If you're reading the King James, what do you think a privy is? Just an old English word for the bathroom. Everybody thought he was in the bathroom. Because all of this has something to do. So I point that out to simply say, so when we meet a leper here, it's because it's going to come into and play a key factor in the story. Because notice, it doesn't tell us the name of the city. It doesn't even tell us his name. It just says this guy had leprosy. This guy had leprosy. And the leper simply says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Because we recognize Jesus' authority. He recognized Jesus' authority and was willing to submit to his will. And I would say to us that from the depths of our human need, we need to turn to the sufficiency of the power of Christ to save from sin and his compassion to sanctify us in Christ. Which leads us then to the compassion of Jesus. Because the leper, all he knows to do is say, Jesus, I, I, if you're willing, please make me clean. And what is Jesus' response? Now, some of people would say, wow. Jesus simply said, you're clean. No, no, that's not right. What are we told that Jesus does? Jesus touches him. He touches him. Jesus touched the untouchable. Jesus showed his willingness to reach out to those who who had been, this man who had been rightly, under Old Testament law, rejected by the community. But it was the same Savior, the same lawgiver who gave the law of Moses, who now, through himself, gives grace. There's a significance of touch. There's a significance in touch. You don't believe me? Think about when your child holds your hand. Or your adult child hugs you. Or your grandchild, or even your small child, reaches up to want to hug you and kiss you. Think about if you're hopefully still in love with your wife or husband. Think about when you, when you look into their eyes. Hopefully that still gives you butterflies. Or you hug you kiss, whatever. The power of touch is real. And though Jesus touches this man, it is as the Creator touching His creation. The Creator touches His creation at this point. And He transforms this man's life because with, with not just with the Word, He does say, I am willing, be cleansed. But with the power of his touch, his healing touch, and the power of his word, I am willing, be cleansed. This man becomes clean. The healer touching the one in need, the creator touching the creation. And so Jesus not only heals, but he also restores this individual as a result of this, right? 
He results, and, and, and so what would be the result of his touching and speaking to this, to this man who was crying out? Like, and I don't mean like, he, this guy, I mean, and I'm not going to raise my voice, but, but, but understand, this wasn't like, hey, Jesus, uh, if you can help me, that would be great. No, no, no. It wasn't even Jesus, son of God, help me. But this man would have been crying out because he would have been in the back. He would have not been allowed anywhere close to anybody. He was in the back of the crowd. He was in the very back. His voice would have been booming at this point. Jesus, Son of God, have mercy upon me, right? I know that's not, exact, that's not what he said, but that's ultimately what he was asking. Jesus, Son of God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. That's what he meant when he said, Jesus, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Because this man knew that up until this point in his life, however long this had been going on, he was cut off from everyone and everything and even the worship of God. And so Jesus, by touching him, he restores him to, his com to community. He restores him to fellowship with his brothers and sisters if he had any, his, mothers and his mother and his father if, he, if they were still alive. He restored, them. he restored him to community within the temple. He was able to now go to the temple and offer sacrifices again. He was able to sing the psalms. He was able to fellowship with those who were worshiping the Lord, the God of Israel. He was now able to, to with rejoicing, he was able to go from that which he had been cut off from. And he tells him, go and offer the sacrifice. Why? Why would Jesus tell him to go and show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices? I mean, Jesus told him he was clean, right? Well, I think there's a couple different reasons. One, it, it was Jesus was telling the man to be obedient to the law, right? He was, he was telling him, Jesus was upholding the law of Moses, as I've already said, in Leviticus 13 and 14, he, he, it's art, what, what they were supposed to do. Jesus was sending the man to the priest to demonstrate that as the lawgiver, he was following the law. The law that he had himself created. And to establish within that framework the reality that he was even greater in the sense of what he was going to bring. I think also, second of all, it was to verify the healing. Now, let me, let me say this. You ever notice people run around saying, I, I, I healed somebody? You ever notice how they don't ever present the, the, the physician statements? Most of the time. Maybe, maybe that you'll find one or, or two out there. But most of the time, they don't go running around saying, hey, this was verified by a physician that so-and-so was dying of cancer, and we can't explain it, but this person healed them. But that's what Jesus does. So don't talk to me about healing people unless you show me the receipts. Because that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus said, look, one of, let's verify this. Let's make this official. And the priest served a role. And again, that's not saying Jesus doesn't heal. Jesus absolutely heals. Right? Even today. But understand, it was the priest's duty to inspect the individual that, that, that was leprous and to free them from this. The testimony of the priests were absolutely essential. And I think that's what it was. So the verification of the healing, the testimony of the priests, I think fourthly, was an avoidance of misunderstanding that the man was not who, maybe he wasn't who he said he was. He was able to avoid that misunderstanding. Absolutely, I was. 
And I think also Jesus tells him to go and to show this before he goes out and does anything else. And yet, what's he do? He goes out and he proclaims Jesus. Jesus was, I think, seeking to, seeking to focus people on not on the event that occurred, the healing, but rather on the faith that was required in all of this. Because in, in all of this, this was an important lesson about the nature of faith. It's the nature of faith. Trusting the Lord, looking to the Lord, asking the Lord for His help. And offer, I think ultimately this was also, also to instruct the man to go and do what God had told him to do in the Old Testament, which was to go and offer thanks. Not only to, be, to show himself to be verified, but also to offer thanks. Thanks to God, because that was part of his cleansing. It was not only offering a sin offering, but also offering thanksgiving offerings. And so he was called. He was told and called to go live a life of worship, obedience to God's word, holiness in his conduct, enduring the trials that he had already endured and may endure in the future. And by, by, by submitting himself to, to the word of God, to Christ himself, God in the flesh, to then go and proclaim his greatness after his, the healing had been verified. And I think therein is the, is the issue and the problem, right? I think so often... So often we, we get caught up in, in the desire for signs and wonders and miracles without ever seeking the one who is the one who gives those things. And I think we have to be careful with those things. We have to be careful that we seek the one who is able to work the miracle, not the miracle itself. And then this is what he says, right? This is how it ends, right? In Luke 5.15, what, what, is, what does it say here? What does it say happen? Well, it says that he went off and... Uh, he, he, uh, he, began, uh, he began telling everybody what had happened to him. And it says that as a result of that, a great multitude came together to heal and to be healed by him of their infirmities. Now we'll look at next week what, what ends up happening when Jesus becomes exhausted at this point, right? Jesus becomes tired and exhausted at this point. We'll talk more about that later. But Jesus' Jesus's fame spreads everywhere. So let me close by saying this. Let's, let's close it out by saying this. For those of you who are here, who may be struggling or doubting or just trying to find your way as a new Christian or maybe a new believer in the Lord. Let me, let, let me, let me encourage you like this. Just be honest with the Lord. Just like the leper approached Jesus with humility and honesty, you can come to Him when your weakness and your doubts, maybe, you're, maybe you don't understand something as you read the Word. That's okay. It's, it's okay to not know. It's okay to, to, to have questions. It's okay to try to fig, be figuring things out. That, that's a good thing. You should, you should want to do that. That means you're in His Word. That means you're seeking Him. And so don't be ashamed to hide or ashamed to ask questions because we all need, we all have questions and we all need answers sometimes. And that's good and it's okay. And just like Jesus told the healed man to go to the priest and offer the sacrifices required by the law, likewise, Jesus tells you, believer, whether you're new in the faith or old in the faith, we are to, be follow, we are to follow God's word and to be guided by God in Christ through the word of God, by the Holy Spirit. That is, in other words, I guess if I had to boil it down, let me say it like this. Stay in scripture, stay in, the, stay in, in constant communication with your father through prayer, fellowship, Fellowship among believers. Fellowship among believers. 
We should, be, we should be doing more than simply hanging out here on Sunday mornings or Sunday nights. We should be fellowshipping together. Bearing one another's burdens. Working together at life and on our faith. But I would say this, Christian, if you're here and you're new in the faith, I would say this, just don't forget. Unlike the leper who had to go to an earthly priest as a Christian, you have direct access to Jesus who is your great high priest. And He is the one who intercedes on your behalf. One last thing I would say to the strong Christian. Strong Christian, just because you're older in the faith and maybe a little bit stronger in the faith, you need to understand that you too must be in the Word, be in prayer, fellowshipping, leading your family in prayer, discipling your kids, discipling your grandkids, discipling those around you as God gives you opportunity, doing what God has called you to do. And for the unbeliever, let me simply say this. Those of you who may be here who have never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you need to acknowledge what you already know. That is, you are the leper. You are the leper who, are, who is in need because you are marked, your life is marked by absolute sinfulness, brokenness, and separation from God. And like the leper, like the leper, all of us at all points in time in our lives, if we follow Jesus, had to confess Christ as Lord and Savior. We needed Him to cleanse us and to restore us to a right relationship with Him. So you too, even in this moment, are being called to repent, to turn away from your sin, to turn away from your wickedness, turn away from your brokenness, turn away from your separation with God, and turn to Christ in faith. Recognize Jesus' authority. Call out upon the name of the Lord. Lord, if you are willing, make me clean because I will tell you one thing that I know for sure. No one who has ever called out to Jesus, Lord Jesus, save me in sincerity. Jesus has ever looked at and said, no, thank you. Jesus always will save those who come to him in brokenness and sincerity, calling upon him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, make me clean. Jesus' answer was and will always be, I am willing, be clean. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your mercy that has come to us. We thank you for the story of the leper, how it reminds us of your grace. God, thank you that I was once this leper, but you have you, you were gracious enough to lead me to understand that I had to call out to you. And thank you, Lord, that, that, that you in your sovereign grace did exactly that. Lord, I thank you that, that my salvation is not contingent upon me. And it doesn't hinge upon me, but it is completely all of Christ. And Lord, I thank you. I thank you. Because I know that if it was contingent upon me, I would have lost it a long time ago. God, I thank you that in Christ I am kept. And Lord, I thank that not just for me, but I thank you for all my brothers and sisters here this morning. That's the case for them too. I thank you that if they truly are in Christ, that thank you that, that, that you have saved them and brought them to faith in Christ like this leper. We were all once this leper. And God, we praise you because you have sought, you sought us out and you, you bought us for yourself. Even though we know nothing about this man or the city, God, we know that, Lord Jesus, that you planned this exactly the way it was supposed to unfold and for your glory and for your honor and the honor of the Father and the honor of the, the Trinity, you did this. And we praise you for this. And we ask that you would use us for your glory's sake in Jesus' name. Amen.